Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Are you jet lagged? Are your arms tired? You just flew in from West Virginia. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you so much. Uh, no, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. And uh, yes, David is referencing uh, my uh, recent journey to West Virginia to go to the Mountaineer Film Festival, where they... Uh, invited me to be a part of a panel right. about uh, the intersection of faith and film, which was a lot of fun. So it did not turn out to be an elaborate prank. No, it didn't. Uh, well, God. hang on now. <laughs> hang on. There was not. A, there were not a lot of people at the panel. I'll say that. And and the film festival, on the panel or at the panel. I'd which say one may- had more. <laughs> were there more people on the panel or attending the panel? I'm going to say more people attending by a nose. <laughs> um, no, there are probably only about 25 people in the audience, uh, mm. and then uh, there are four of us on the panel. Okay. Uh, and it was um, it was so much fun. Yeah. It, it's I've never really been to a film festival before, and admittedly, this is a short film festival. By which I mean a film festival. That shows short films, right. not a film. It goes festival. on for two months. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's still going on. They, I have to be back there for a second <laughs> panel. Um, but yeah, and so uh, so one thing because I sat in and watched a, a number of the a number of the films, and it kind of renewed my uh, my enthusiasm for the short film. I think when you get out of college, or at least when I got out of college, part of me is like, all right, features now, right? Like short <laughs> films, come on. Um, They're for students. They usually have what people laying it in, ba- in bathtubs. Uh, somebody in the fetal position in a bathtub. Often yes. the sound of a heart beating. <laughs> <laughs> these, these are the things that mark student films. Right? Yeah, maybe student uh, films are always every. I'd say half of student films, including half of the ones that I made, mm-hmm. are about people having a bad day. <laughs> because yeah, I guess you you write what you know. Yeah, and students student film make like they don't have anything. These people aren't, you know, they're not going through divorces or, you know, they don't have mortgages to pay or anything like that. Most of them, the worst thing that happens to them is that they oversleep because they're irresponsible and completely unreliable college students. Right. They miss the train. Yeah. What else happens? Uh, What happened in your film where I had to, I got to trash our apartment. I know, at 3 a.m., which I'm sure our our neighbors loved. Um, (laughs) I played the guy having a bad day. Yeah, you stepped in gum. Except in gum. You got a bad grade. Yeah. I think you locked your key. I think you locked yourself out of the apartment. Okay. Uh, I don't know. There was other stuff. I don't remember everything. Well, and then the, 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 the final straw was that I couldn't get the bottle of Sprite open. That's right. I get home. All I need. It's been a long day. Yeah. All Time I need. Time to crack open that Sprite. That's what I'm, yeah. That's what I've been dreaming about. It's, it's, uh, it's Sprite o'clock <laughs> and I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get the cap off this thing. Uh, and my character, I mean, right, right. um, it, uh, it, I trying to get the cap off the thing, and that's that tears it. Yeah, I throw the sprite, sprite across the room, and then it is bedlam. Yeah, I throw all the movies. We took, we took the movies. The, we, it was VHS back yeah. then. Uh, we took the tapes out of the cases mm-hmm. and threw these plastic cases from Video Update all around the apartment. Yeah. at three a.m. Yeah, uh, it was a blast. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I remember. I was good in that one. Yeah, you were. I was you were. real good. Um, and do you remember? Was that the one? Oh, right, because your girlfriend breaks up with you, and when we were at the park, oh, uh, yeah. you and uh, you and uh, Megan, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. this uh, homeless gentleman came up and said a very long monologue. Uh, well, I don't uh, know if it was. Was it pre-written? 
It sounded like it. <laughs> no, it was a very touching story about story. about his life, and so I gave him some uh, some money. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, this was shortly after my own father's death. Right. And so he and I had a brief conversation about that that neither of you could hear. Oh, okay. Uh, and so it wound up being a really uh, touching connection with another human being. And, and as we were shooting this uh, college student film that was just like all the others. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is what short films can do. They bring yeah. people together. You were at the Mountaineer Film Festival. Yeah. To, you were brought together with fans of short films, fans yeah. of faith, and fans of West, West Virginia. <laughs> I don't know if there is such a thing as that last one, but, uh, but yeah, and I got to meet one of the, there weren't a lot of the filmmakers there, but I got to meet one of them and, and that was a lot of fun. Cause I, thankfully it was, I enjoyed his film, uh, and yeah. cause there are some that I, gamble. oh boy, there's some I did not enjoy, but, um, but yeah. And then the guys that I was on the panel with, one of them is a, uh, a Christian filmmaker. And as you know, I, uh, detest Christian film, uh, but he gave me a copy of his and based on his description, it sounds pretty good to be honest with you. Uh, and based on his outlook. So I'm interested to see how that turns out. And then the other guy was a documentary filmmaker who looks and sounds exactly like Billy Bob Thornton. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but who, who's made a number of, of documentaries about, about faith in general, uh, including a documentary about, um, uh, I don't remember the name of the guy, but it's the guy, the real guy that Harry Powell was, was based on from night of the hunter. Okay. And so, uh, he, and he gave me a copy of one of his documentaries. And so, uh, and then after the panel, we all went out to dinner and it was Where'd just kind go? of, we went to a place called Boston beanery. If it's any business of yours, <laughs> um, Making my business and <laughs> my podcast. <laughs> and it was just, it was such a wonderful experience. I was really happy. Like the panel went well. Uh, and by the way, you can, uh, they recorded it for me. And so you can find audio of the panel over at more than one lesson.com. Um, for how much? <laughs> <laughs> so faith and film. Yeah. Did you guys get to the bottom of it? Did you bring them together? Everything? You figured out, they, we figured out they shouldn't go together. Okay. So. Well, at least, uh, yeah, at least a resolution was come to. Exactly. Yeah. Resolved. Yeah. That's what we, that's yeah. what we came to. But yeah, it was a great experience. I loved it. Uh, I was very honored that they asked me to be a part of it and that they flew me, flew me out there. First which class? Was, <laughs> oh, no. But I did arrange to fly out of Burbank, which is pretty good. Yeah. Instead of LAX. Yeah. But, um, that's how you, that's how you do it. Yeah. So what are the accommodations like? They put you up. Oh man. It was so, it sounds good. Um, yeah, well, it's, they they feed you. Was there, was there a dinner? uh, Yeah, I had a per diem. Um, but they, uh, fantastic. My, my hotel reservation, there was some, there was a mix up at the Hampton Inn. Not the festival's fault. Not the festival's fault. No, I blame the Hampton Inn. I do too, especially that and that employee who had no interest. Like he realized, Oh, he doesn't have a room here. I can treat him like absolute shit. You know who you know who you are. I don't remember his name, but uh, yes. so I had to go over to the Euro Suites, and that was that was fine. I enjoyed it. Sounds sounds like an upgrade from the Hampton Inn. I know the Euro Suites. It seems like it, but uh, it I wasn't. I don't see anything. I don't see how it could be not enough parking. Other than not enough parking. That's the way they do it in Europe. There's no parking because the place it's Europe. The place mm-hmm. is it's old. It's yeah. older than cars. You mean than the than the movie Cars? I mean both things, the movie cars and real cars. I, I, I can't even, I can't imagine what you're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, uh, it, 
that's the thing. It was a very fun trip. Uh, the hotel was perfectly fine. It, 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 it did the job. Certainly for the people in the room next to me. Oh, they were having a good time? They were having a very good time. To the, they were having a comically good time. I felt like I had wandered into a movie. Uh-huh. Like, that's the kind of... that The noise they were making was so crystal clear that I was like, are they watching a movie in which uh-huh. characters are having comically loud sex? That's funny. Uh, and then, and then when they watched a movie later, I was like, oh no, that's what a movie sounds like. So they were really, they were going for it. Uh, like I, so that was the honeymoon suite in in the Euro suite. Apparently so. Uh, but, uh, so the, um, so I threw on the old, uh, the old tweaked audio earbuds and you know what? There you go. Drowned them right out. Let's let's talk for a second about tweakedaudio.com. That's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. Uh, real, real sharp styles and real brilliant colors mm-hmm. uh, that uh, only hint at the, I would say, the aesthetic pleasingness. Yeah, it's good for your ears and your eyes. That's what I'm saying. It only hints at just how uh, uh, how great these things sound. David, so it's tweaked. What's that? Have you ever tasted these things? I oh, haven't. Oh, something to think about. It's tweakedaudio.com/slash pretension. You mm-hmm. get all those one third off, no shipping charges. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that was a good switching gears uh, moment because we do want to talk about something a little sad. Yeah. For a second. Um, the actor James Redhorn passed away. Yeah. Uh, from a, uh, a 20 plus year battle that I didn't know about with uh, melanoma. Neither did I. And th- when you hear that, I mean, it sounds almost comical to be like, well, hey, good for him. But seriously, good for him. Like he kept working consistently and a lot like he was. He was in, I think, a hundred plus movies and TV shows uh, in his yeah. over the course of his career. Like he I just was very recently on Homeland. Yes, which I haven't I haven't watched, but I'm sure he's he wonderful. Plays, he plays Claire Dane's father, okay. who is also uh, manic depressive. As oh, she nice. Is. Okay, yeah, yeah. He, uh, I was, you know, anytime a character actor or one could say a, I'm sorry to put it in, in such such a crass term, but uh, when one of when a that guy dies, mm-hmm. you know, a character actor who shows up in a lot of stuff, but uh, not because of his performance or the kind of actor he is, like, they, they tend not to put him in, like, major supporting role characters and certainly never lead. Um, and he always gets sort of – they always just sort of provide stability. Um, and then other often younger actors sort of steal the show. Mm-hmm. Um James Rebhorn, Rebhorn was one of those. And so those types of actors I've found, you just sort of take them for granted. Do you know what I mean? Like you just sort of feel like they're always there. You know, they're never front and center. It's, it's like, I don't know. It's, what was it? I remember years ago at the, the little church that I went to in Nixa, Missouri, there are a lot of older people there mm-hmm. and they were always remarkably friendly and stuff, but they weren't people that were like a major part of my life. And then one day, <laughs> like one of them passed away and, and I just realized like, Oh, well they're just, my life is not really impacted that much. They're simply not there. And that is an unfortunate thing. And so like, for example, when a Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away, he was playing lead roles. He was like a very dynamic mm-hmm. actor. Again, not to imply that James Redhorn isn't, but a, as a function of casting, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, probably had a much more uh, direct role in like moviegoers' lives, whereas James James Redhorn was just this very dependable background force in film. 
Uh, and so I feel like we just take those for granted. And then when they pass away, I don't know. I, 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 I try to take special note of it, especially when mm-hmm. it's somebody like him who anytime he showed up on screen, I was like, Hey, all right. Yeah. That I totally, agree. uh, I'm going to ask you, but first I'm going to answer my, my own question. I'm going to ask you, what was the role for, because for us people who are maybe, Hey, it's that guy type of people for other mm-hmm. people. Cause we watch a ton of movies you know, we know their name. What was the role that graduated him from Hey, It's That Guy for you? And for me, I'm going to say it was Scotland, PA. All right. Uh, and then I remembered, I was like, oh, yeah, he was just in Talented Mr. Ripley a couple of years ago. He mm-hmm. was in the Seinfeld finale yeah. before that. Like, I started to remember stuff. But it's it's Scotland, PA, because he's very funny in that. He he is, and yes. That was, tends to stand out. I was me. going to mention that. But uh, for me, oddly enough, it was, it was years before, and it was the game. Uh, That's another which, one that, like, in retrospect, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the guy from the game. And I know you're not a big fan of that film. Mm-hmm. I like it quite a bit, and he's great. It's it's a re- First off, it's a it's a sort of a larger supporting role than he usually gets, as, as is Scotland P.A. Um, and he just knocks it out of the park. It's, it's interesting when you have an actor who knows <laughs> – it's not merely he knows how to play the character, but he also knows why he was cast. He knows how he comes across. He doesn't often come across as a heroic type. He comes across as a businessman mm-hmm. and one who conceivably, who probably has something sinister going on, or if not that, is just not the most sympathetic person. And so in the game where he has to seem like uh, a regular businessman and there's more going on, but it's not necessarily sinister. And then, Oh, it's, it's very sinister. And then revealed at the end yeah. to be a fairly benevolent guy. Um, yeah, it's, and that's, I like that you mentioned him knowing how he comes across because I think to go back to Scotland, PA, he used that to his advantage playing the opposite of that, playing a yeah. sort of guileless, yeah. uh, Rube type <laughs> yeah. almost, but a very, someone you really like, Yeah, but, uh, you realize how easily manipulated, uh, he is, yeah. and, and then you know, spoilers killed uh, pretty early on. Indeed, um, but yeah, I that was the role I first uh, noticed him in. But I think I still, or in retrospect, I identify him more as Dickie Greenleaf's father mm-hmm. in Talented Mr. Ripley, which is much more the kind of role you're talking about. That he's uh, probably you know he's a he's a father, but you get the impression in his relatively few scenes a couple at the beginning and then he yeah. shows up toward the end in, in italy um but you in relatively few scenes you get the impression this is a guy who yes he's dickie's father by blood but he probably wasn't a very good father yeah uh probably very stern essentially a lot like kurtwood smith in dead poet society maybe. sure yeah <laughs> uh, well and that's the thing okay so there's a character like that in dead poet society a movie that i've always sort of associated with dead poet society though i though i like it more is scent of a woman Okay. And James Redhorn plays like the dean of the college or or the or I don't think it's a college, the like the headmaster so basically. two movies he shared with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Um and pro- and maybe even more yeah, frankly. Uh but yeah, he was uh and by the way, I know that this ne- doesn't necessarily have to have an impact on yeah, anything. Yeah, he, he was in Cold Mountain. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> There's three. Yeah. There's three. Um but uh it turns out he played uh, Charlie Wilson as well. <laughs> um, but uh, this doesn't necessarily have to have an impact on remembering him because, of course, he was a great and reliable actor. But uh, we're, you know, it, it was released that he had written his own obituary because my guess is he 
he knew this was coming. Yeah, this is 22 years, I think. Yeah, so he's had a while to, to think about it. Um, and, uh, and I read his obituary, and it is just lovely. Like, it's, it's really, it's humble, it's gracious. Like, he mentions, he literally is trying to mention as many people as he can mm. and single them out for th- this person had a huge impact on my life and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's just, and it's so interesting when you read it, you realize, wow, this guy was an even better actor than I thought. Because he always played like cunning, mm-hmm. almost always played like cunning types. And in reality, he was probably the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's one of the reasons why it's kind of uh, refreshing to see him in Scotland, PA, be a guy, be a guy who like means well um, and is kind of goofy. I think you should really watch Homeland's first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've watched three seasons of it now. And the first season is the only one that I can really stand by. Okay. Um, but uh, when people when people say people say stupid things like TV is better than movies now, that's too broad a statement to ever be true. Right. Uh, but I think there is something to be said for opportunities. And I said this before about about uh, about women. There are often better roles for women on television these days. And I think character oh, I actors. I don't know if I've ever heard you say that actually. Uh, maybe I said it on Hey Watch This. I think probably I, yeah. Um, but. Uh, I could have sworn I said it when Todd Vanderwerf was on. But anyway, um, but I think there are also, for character actors and older uh, actors, there's a lot a lot more as well. Uh, because he's not in any one episode of Homeland any more than he would be in like a bit a smaller role in a movie. Yeah. But because it takes place over time, yeah. he gets to be fleshed out a little bit. And the fact that he's playing another, he's playing another father type, but the show give, gives him the time to to flesh that out and also play he's not just filling in the slot of carrie's dad he's a guy who also is manic depressive and has had you know 40 years more 30 or 40 years more experience dealing with that than carrie has and yeah. and um so when he talks to her about it he's not just being her dad he's bringing all this other other stuff to it and he got to play um yeah some some notes we didn't often get to see him play in his in his career and it hmm. was uh, it was really interesting to watch and he was in it all he's in all three seasons oh that sounds great uh, but um the first season is really really good season of fair enough anyway yeah. so i wanted to we wanted to mention that absolutely another reason that i should be rewatching talent to mr ripley now i i hear you you know it's so it's so interesting when you think back on certain movies as being maybe even shaping the way we see movies afterwards uh-huh. and talent to Mr. Ripley is one of the best movies certainly of that year, but maybe like just one of the most intriguing movies I've ever seen. And I certainly like that was 99. I was 17. I went and saw it with a, a friend of ours, uh, Matt Bennett, it, just hearing that it was kind of dark and kind of strange, mm-hmm. but you, you can't really prepare yourself emotionally for the film that is there. Uh, and I've seen it, I think maybe twice in my life and I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time. And it's just like that is a movie that if if any movie bears repeat viewings, it's a it's that movie and movies like that. And yet somehow I've seen it fewer times than I don't know Predators. <laughs> I want to I, re- I really want to hit the S on the end because I've seen that movie I think three times <laughs> and own it just as I own like I own Predators as much as I own Talent of Mr Ripley. Somehow that doesn't seem uh, equitable. Uh, yeah, so let's all watch the Talent of Mr Ripley. And by the soundtrack, because I, as much uh, as much as I've watched Talented Mr. Ripley in my life, I've listened to the soundtrack album way, way more. Who's the composer? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Interesting. Okay, but it's I mean, because a lot, a lot of it is 
not score. It's like jazz music. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so we did that. We did that. We All did, right. Yeah, we did tweaked already. Let's get into it, shall we? All right. Um, this is timely. Well, not as timely because we have a uh, lag between when we record and when things post. Yeah. Uh, but just today, day of recording, Thursday. Nope. Tuesday. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're way ahead. Yeah. We, we usually record on Thursdays. Today is a Tuesday. You guys need to know all this. Yeah. In case something drastic happens in the next uh, five days. Um, but, yeah, today uh, – well, why don't you – you you, you sent me the article, so why don't you talk about it? Yeah, I saw somebody tweet this, and it was an article by Matt Zoller Sites. Now – That alone, reason enough to read it. Uh, yes. We'll get to that in a moment. Oh, you have some problems with this guy. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I don't always agree with him. I'm a big fan. I don't always agree with him, and I do feel like, and this article is an example, I, I do feel like he tends to be a little too uh, definitive and unrelenting uh, in some well, of his uh, we, approach. We, we will talk about that in regards to this article, Indeed. definitely. So, um, but, uh, so I looked at it, and... Um, and anytime somebody, specifically another film critic, writes about film criticism and like something that they have a problem with, mm-hmm. uh, I'm always intrigued because as somebody who is an online film critic, and I recognize that Matt Zoller Sykes, Sykes kind of is as well, but he's published a book and that sort of thing. Um, and so, uh, so as a podcaster and an online critic, it's entirely possible that this person is writing about me, uh, or at least not, not about me specifically, obviously, but that I'll fall into what they might deem as the problem. Um, and so, uh, so I read through it and my first thought was like, huh, there's a lot going on here. And it, and it brought up some, to its credit, it brought up some questions. Well, let's talk about what the article's about. Yeah. Uh, I think you've read it. I read it twice today. Okay. Um, and uh, I wish I had it uh, in front of me. I guess I could pull it up yeah, on my can, phone. we can always pull it up. But then um, I just, then I'll be locked to it. And so <laughs> Yeah. Uh, basically what he's saying, and this is, I, I mean, you know, the, you sent me this, you knew I was going to love it, right? Yes. Because it's so up my alley, because I'm often talking about uh, approaching movies formalistically. Mm-hmm. And basically his point of view is that anyone who is writing uh, criticism of either a film or a television show. Yeah. Um, is not doing their whole job if they are not um, making reference to the form and mm-hmm. to the construction of the film and uh, or, or the piece and and uh, how the way that you feel about it is shaped by the way that it is put together. Right. Uh, and that stuff is. I mean, I, I felt I felt two ways about it right off the bat. Um, the first was. Uh, yes, I've been, this is what I've been saying. I totally agree. I, this is, this is my cause as well. But then it also felt like sort of galvanizing because I, it made me go back and look at my recent reviews and see like, I did exactly the same I thing. Like, have I? And I think I have done a pretty good job of that, but I, I looked at my, my review of Divergent. I didn't make any mention of formula. I really mostly made mention of how dumb the story, yeah. uh, and the things that happen in the movie are. I didn't talk about uh, I didn't talk much about Neil Berger's choices as a as a director or his I didn't you know his cinematographer's name in in, in Divergent because I uh, I guess I didn't care enough to do it I, I guess I yeah I, I most I, I guess I tend to talk about form more um, when I like a movie uh, you know uh, I, I, a couple of home video reviews I've recently written were the um, 
Criterion's The Great Beauty right. uh, release and uh, Strand put out the 10th anniversary Mysterious Skin Blu-ray. I reviewed both of those and both I made mention of uh, of, of form and, and choices that were made on a technical and then construction side uh, by the by those directors. Uh, but it did, what basically what I'm trying to say is that um, it felt like I felt like I see. I'm already feeling that I liked this more than you did. Yeah, because it felt like it called me out in a way that I appreciated. Now yeah. we'll, we'll get later to some stuff in the article. Yeah, um, and I, yeah, I would if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to if you can pause and read the article. It's a quick read uh, before coming back because we're talking about it. But we'll get into the once we're once we've gotten through the article. Well, this isn't going to be a whole hour about just the article. It's going to be about the ideas in it. Yes. So we'll get past that at a certain point. But I still want to talk about specifically what Matt Zollerstein wrote. Uh, and I'll get to my disagreement. The Later, I'll get to the parts I disagree okay. with. But mostly, I really loved this because, again, A, it echoed things that I said. And B, it uh, I felt like it was a call to action for me that I appreciated. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, I'll I'll uh, throw some uh, Christian jargon at you. It uh, I was deeply convicted by it. Okay, um, I read through it, and you know, anytime you read something that says that kind of points a finger at you very specifically, and because of what you're striving to do, and says, okay, well, you should here's an idea about how you can be better, and maybe you're already this, but either way, maybe. Take some, take a moment for some self-examination. Um, and it's easy if you don't like the tone of the article to say, screw you and then move on. Um, like just because you're defensive or whatever. Um, but I think it's, it's always best to just be honest. And I did the same thing. I went back, looked at recent articles that I had written, um, and thought, I could probably do more of, of what he is talking about. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that was my, my first thought is like, you know, even if I don't necessarily like the tone of the article or certain things he wrote in it, um, I feel like you can almost always comb something out of some, uh, an article like this that can make you a better critic, um, and just something to mull over. Cause you know, I feel like if ever you read something like this and you think I'm doing fine. Uh-huh. I feel like maybe you might be missing something. Yeah. So. Uh, well, you know, here's here's why I am kind of okay with some of the the tone of the article. Yeah. That that you didn't like is because he never says um, this is the only thing that's important. Right. And he never says form is more important than than screenplay or. Or, or or acting or all these other things. Yeah. Um, he's. He, I think he just says that far too many uh, uh, critics don't write about the form type stuff because they don't know enough about it. We'll get back to that in a second. Right. But um, I, I we recently did an episode about um, the importance of acting in a movie, mm-hmm. and the m- main reason I wanted to do that episode is because I. Um, like maybe you see in yourself or, or worry that you don't write enough about form. I worry that I don't write enough or think enough about the performance of the actors when I evaluate a film. And right. that's uh, doing a disservice to a very strong uh, and necessary ingredient to mm-hmm. uh, to most films. Um, you know, I mean, not, not all of them are stories. So, some you know, if it's a documentary or something more experimental, I guess the 
ability of the actors. I don't know, I'm getting off on a tangent. Yeah. Uh, what did I say we were going to get back to? Or do you have thoughts on that? Um, it's frustrating. I have, I have thoughts on all of this. Um, but I feel like, uh, they will lead to the larger conversation that you want to have. Like, uh, was there more that you wanted to speak about with the article specifically? Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm trying to remember what it was that I just said I wanted to come back to and I forget what it was. The tone? No, it wasn't about the tone because that didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. Right. Uh, I literally just said something. Acting? Yeah. No, before that. Jeez Louise, what is wrong with me? We could stop and go back. No, we're not doing that. All right. We will never do that. Um, sure save us a lot of hassle. No. Uh, well, okay. Let's talk about what I didn't like about it. Okay. And then we'll get back. Otherwise, eventually I'll figure out what I uh, had meant to say. Anyway, um, I, I think there's a... I see a difference that maybe this article uh, and Mr. Zoller sites uh, don't see. Oh, I remember what it was. Okay. Okay. But anyway, we'll, okay, we'll get back to that. I won't forget again. Okay. I hope. Uh, I see a difference between uh, writing about form in the construction of a film and being well-versed in the way that a film is made. Right. You know, I think you can know some basics and he's right. You should, we, I, you and I have both recommended people read in the blink of an eye by Walter Murch, even though we're don't not re- We're not recommending the only people who want to be film editors read mm-hmm. in the blink of an eye. Anyone who appreciates film should read it. But then, you know, there are also, uh, you know, I, I'm not, my, my textbooks for my lighting class in film school, I'm not going to recommend people read those. Those right. are a little too, uh, technical. So I think, uh, he sort of fails to distinguish a little bit there, I think. Right. Um, well, what do you have to say about that? And then we'll get to the other thing I want to talk about. Well, okay. And, mm, and I'm reluctant to, okay. I, I will say the sentence. Okay. That, that kind of set me off a little bit, not made me angry, but it caused me to start asking questions first as a function of defense, but then moving on, just thinking like, okay, well, hang on now. Just ask this question of yourself. Um, so I'll say this and then we can get back to, and that's a larger discussion to ha- be had in a moment. Um, and let me make sure. Uh, okay. Uh, form is not just an academic side dish to the main course of content. I agree with that. Uh, we critics of film and TV have a duty to help viewers understand how form and contact interact content interact and how content is expressed through form. I don't know if we have that duty. Well, that's, uh, I think, I mean, this is an editorial. I think there's, uh, an assumption that that's his opinion. I suppose so. He says it three more times. <laughs> well, that's, um, then that's the opinion that he's, that's fine. But it's, and, and therein lay my, you know, you and I write, I mean, I guess we, I guess we all express our opinion in a fairly definitive way, but, and that's the thing is part of me, uh, I feel like, I feel like I'm getting into it and I, and I don't want to necessarily advance the conversation past where you want to go. Well, then, right let's now. talk about this. Okay. A couple weeks ago, we had a conversation about, is there a right way to watch a movie? Mm-hmm. Now he, again, you, I agree with you. He does, he's not saying cut content out, cut a uh, theme out and think only in terms of form. He's not saying that. And I, I, I he's don't putting I, them on equal footing. Right. Um, but I don't know what gets me is just like, if somebody, if somebody chooses, whether they be a critic or a, a lay person, maybe I shouldn't, maybe that sounds shitty, but like, 
No, I don't if think somebody, if somebody, I don't think layperson is, I think it's taken on a connotation of being a pejorative. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, when I say layperson, I mean moron. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. All right. I don't sorry. think layperson is a, is a pejorative. Okay. When it comes to, I don't know, the, you know, something, something I don't know about. I don't even know what it is because I don't know about it. <laughs> when it comes to weather patterns, I'm a layperson. Fair enough. I don't know how that shit works. I don't yeah. know cold fronts and all that. Yeah. Uh, I know what the Weather Channel app tells me. Yeah. Whether it's going to rain or not. I'm a layperson. I don't. I'm not offended if some meteorologist calls me a layperson. I'm not going to be offended. Fair they're enough. right. All right. Real quick, uh, comic book nerds, do me a favor. Email me and let me know if there's ever been a cold themed villain called Cold Front. Because if not, there should be. Sorry. Anyway, um, I'm not even trying to make a joke. I'm like, yeah. that's a, that's a good name. Yeah. There could be like a wrestler name, like an ice themed wrestler. Anyway, yeah. um, it's definitely more assertive than Warm Front. Like, <laughs> warm front would be a weird thing to yeah it's like it. oh no i pissed my pants i've got a warm front <laughs> oh that is not the kind of thing i normally laugh at. i know uh, it's not the kind of joke i usually make <laughs> um so uh what the hell are we talking about oh layperson yeah yeah so whether you are a critic or a filmmaker or a layperson you and i devoted a fair amount of time to the idea that there is no First off, we we mentioned that we shouldn't think in terms of right and wrong, but that there's no wrong way to approach a movie. And if I approach a movie as almost purely as a function of content and theme, mm-hmm. what is the now? Here's the thing: I understand talking about form. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, and and maybe one should do that. But if that is not how I approach a film, uh-huh. um. In, in a review or just in life, if I think only in terms of, you know, certainly when you're asking how did it convey its theme, you are asking about form, but then you're arriving at the theme. And so the theme has been communicated and that's what you are thinking about uh, for some people. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the theme how you ch- is neither content nor form, I think. I, th- well, I think it fits more into content than form. I, know, I think they come together. Okay, well then, uh, I'm, I'll just say content instead okay. of instead of theme, uh, um, and so, uh, so for him to say, okay, well, and he, he's he's arguing in favor of a balanced approach, which is which I agree with, but he's saying, if you only do this, if you only think in these terms, if you only write a review in these terms, you are wrong and you are part of the problem. He uses that phrase uh-huh. now. I tend to think in terms of content and theme primarily and and certainly in the st- in certain things that I write where, where I have a very strong emotional reaction, I tend to talk more about that reaction than about the form. I'm not opposed to writing about form. Uh, I try to incorporate it where I can, but uh, that that's the way I write. And that's not to say that my writing could be, you know, couldn't be improved, certainly. But, um, you know, I read that and I'm like, oh, so I'm part of the am I part of the problem? Matt Zoller sites like, because I'm not doing this, but that's, that's his opinion. He's allowed to think you're part of the problem. I think like you and I, yeah, we came to the decision. There's uh, only one, there's only one part of the problem as we all know. And it's Jeffrey Wells. (laughs) Right. That's the guy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we, we talked about this, about the right and wrong way to watch movies. We, we came to the opinion, not the decision, the opinion right. that there is no real right or wrong way. But we also said there are ways that you and I can think are more uh, advantageous. Yeah, and beneficial, it, yeah. Yeah, and so he's 
uh, he's got an idea about what uh, Matt Zolotides does about what is the, uh, the, the most helpful um, and productive way for a critic to watch and write about a movie. And he's proselytizing about that idea. And that's, that's his right. It's, it's an editorial. Uh, So I don't, I think he has an argument to make. He makes it. He doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't say anything too stupid. Uh, So maybe your, sounds like, to me, your problem is more with the form of the article than the content. No question about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I did have that thought that he is bringing up other, the form of other people's reviews, which doesn't, that's not hypocritical at all. In fact, it's remarkably consistent. Uh Um, and so, um, so yeah, but I also do have a problem with, with, again, not a problem. It was the use of that word duty Uh and, and of course what followed that really kind of put me back on my heels as far as what a critic's job is. Now that's a big question and yeah. we've devoted episodes to it in the past, but it's, it's, I want to explore it. Yeah. I want to talk about it here too. I, I want to talk about what Matt Zoller sides thinks a critic's job is, which right. I kind of, I don't, I, I don't want to pin it down to any one thing, but when he's talking about duty there, yeah, I think what I get from that is that he's saying a critic's job is more than just to say whether or not you uh, whether or not a movie is recommended, okay. you know, whether or not, I, I, I think what he's saying, and I tend to agree with him is that it is also a critic's job to relay to the layperson, the reader, mm-hmm. uh, how and why cinema itself is an art form worth devoting your time to. Okay. And so when he's saying that you, that you have a duty Again, I, I disagree that it is a duty, but that's his opinion. Mm-hmm. When he's saying that it's a, you have a duty to talk about how the content and the form go together. Right. Uh, I think what he's saying is don't just say how this story made you feel. Right. Say how this story makes you feel because it's told through cinema. Right. So he's 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 giving uh, he, he, I guess he's he's giving more clout to the 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 fact that it's a film than mm-hmm. the fact that it's a, a story or that it has characters or that it has a theme or whatever. Right. He's he's saying it's it's more than that. It's more than just that this is effective or, or or you know this is this is moving or this is cathartic or this is thought provoking. Yeah, it's that it is these things because it was told through the visual language of film. And that uh, uh, a critic who both critiques but also uh, sort of evangelizes for mm-hmm. film owes it to the art form of cinema and to his reading audience, his or her. We, you, you and I are hises, so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, his reading audience to, uh, to to relate the importance of filmmaking as an art. <sighs> I agree. Yes, I agree with that. Um, but as I was, as I was looking at this, one of the things that I thought was, okay, I'll read the sentence again so that I I can get very specific. Uh, we critics of film and TV have a duty to help viewers understand how form and content interact and how content is expressed through form. Now that sounds like education to me. 
Would you say that's, I might be simplifying too much, but that we have a duty to help people understand this thing. That sounds like education. Um, Yeah, and I don't think that's necessarily, uh, again, I think a a film review can not be edifying about how films are made, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't either. But, and that's the thing, like, I'm not saying he doesn't have a right to his opinion, and I'm right. not, I'm saying, no, I don't think you're saying that. Yeah. I think he's wrong. So I have a right to say he's wrong in this, sin, in this instance, in that, in that that's only it. I think a critic has, has a duty by weird coincidence. Mm-hmm. There's something I posted on more than one lesson a long time ago. It was this little like four minute interaction between Siskel and Ebert in the mid nineties uh-huh. in which they were talking about what film criticism is or what they think it should be. Obviously it doesn't encompass their entire worldview. I was actually watching that clip today before I read this article hmm. by weird coincidence. Um, and, and frankly, this was posted at Roger, Roger Ebert.com. I know it's strange, right? Yeah. And I find myself wondering, cause Ebert often said a movie is not what it's about. It's how it's about it. Which is, in, which is an interesting point of view, considering if you read his reviews, sometimes he will point out the, the specific mechanics of a shot mm-hmm. or an edit. Mm-hmm. Usually he tends to go, he tended, pardon me, to go big picture and talk about how it made him feel. And when you, and you, when you listen to this, and that's the thing, Roger Ebert could be wrong. Gene Siskel could be wrong. I don't mean to say that if these guys say it, it's set in stone. But um, they were talking about how like a, a filmmaker's uh, duty, I don't think that's what they, that's not the word they use, but like uh, a film critic's duty should be to first off, give the general idea of what the film is about uh, so that the person at the very least independent of your feelings about it can come, can come away knowing whether or not on the, in the broadest possible terms, it's the kind of thing they would want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. But then also the only duty they have is to be honest about how this mo- how they reacted to this movie. And that's it. How they do that talking about form. Sure. That might be, ha- that might be the most beneficial way mm-hmm. to help the viewer under uh, the, the, the reader understand why the critic arrived at this. But that's that. I think that's icing on the cake. I think at its core, the only duty we have, and I know that you said you're not, you're not thrilled with the use of that word. The only duty a critic has is to be completely honest and relatively transparent. I think in how they responded to a movie and how a movie made them feel or what they, what it made them think about. Um, I think I tend to agree more with you, but um, I, I guess I, I, I feel so comfortable with, what Mad Solar Sites says here because it, uh, I think lines up largely with the way that I write reviews. Right. And it's, and here's the thing. Okay. So, uh, this article did, and again, there's nothing like one of the reasons that I speak so frequently about my frustration with Christian film, like admittedly, I do think they, they are leading with theme and, uh, message and that sort of thing. And they're not thinking about form at all. And it's like, well, maybe if you thought more about form, you'd actually do a better job of delivering your message. Not that I like the idea of still leading with that nonetheless, but like, um, so I do agree with him in a lot of ways as far as considering that. Um, but if I'm being totally honest, like this, this article struck a nerve with me because as you know, um, I have said, 
I think I've said it on the podcast. And I know I've said it to you. Excuse me. Um, that when I think of myself as a fraud, we're going to get into some therapy here, by the way. Okay. When I think of myself as a fraud, when it comes to film criticism, the thing I always point to is that I'm a character. Like I tend to zero in on character, acting, dialogue, story. Certainly I love a, you know, I mean, when, when you see a well executed shot or a mm-hmm. piece of music or a, a brilliant edit, you yeah, can't, give you can't credit. You are also very good at talking about and thinking about music. Something I envy. I guess I so. Don't have the best memory or vocabulary for music. And I feel like a fraud there too. Cause you know, way more music than I do. Um, I know popular music. I'm fair, saying <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Um, and so, but that's the thing. So like I, I can still talk about those things, but my first instinct is this other thing. And I'm always quick to say, well, let's see character, dialogue, story, just content in general. It's like, well, there's nothing inherently filmic about that. It's like, why don't I just be a fucking, I'm sorry for swearing. I'm getting agitated. Like, why not just be a film? Uh, sorry. Why not just be a theater critic or a book critic? Like the thing that separates film from other dramatic art forms is a moving camera and editing. So if I'm not focusing on that, not to imply I'm not aware of it, of course, but like if I'm not focusing on that primarily, then what business do I have being a film critic at all? Why not just review theater? Um, and so there, so like this touched on that for me. And of course he didn't necessarily mean to do that, but, um, but, but so think, that, I mean, that's, so I, part of my reaction I think is rooted in, in that insecurity. And I, and I still think you're bringing, uh, you're applying his tone more than his words to that right. because the things that he's saying that, uh, form for you more a part of film criticism. It sounds like you yourself believe that to a point. You just don't believe it with the uh, uh, fervor, maybe mm. that he does. Right? I mean, that's what that's the only the only reason you have those doubts is because you uh, you know that that form is a part of 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 cinema, and so you want to give it more attention. At, well, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that, that's the thing is like, I'm aware of it enough to know how unaware of it I might be in other areas. <laughs> so uh, there is that. So I, I, maybe I'm not giving myself quite enough credit, but what I will say is that like, anytime I brought this up to like you or a friend of the show, Jason Eakin or other people, there was like, ah, people don't think about that. Some do apparently, <laughs> for example, and you mentioned his tone, uh-huh. allow me to read a little something. Uh, Okay. We, we have critics who will praise a, a particular pop song as being the, quote, perfect accompaniment to a particular montage in a Scorsese movie or an episode of Mad Men, but then skip merrily along after that. Oh, my phone just, hang on. Never, eluc- never elucidating why the song was perfect. Because of the tempo, the lyrics, the instrumentation, the way the strings complemented the swooping camera. If you don't fit the above description, congratulations on not being part of the problem. If your back was if your back was up, you can return return it to its customary position of repose. Otherwise, read on. So here's the deal. Um, that I tend to be paranoid, and I can read stuff into things. And also, film critics tend to be a catty bunch. Um, <laughs> so you know, I need to take I need to take some some of this with a grain of salt, obviously. Yeah. But it's one of those things. It's just like I can't think of any way to say this fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, I hate to put it this way, but as I was reading, okay, 
I may get defensive in general, but I don't defend myself much. But what I will say is, like yourself, I went back and read some of my recent reviews. Mm-hmm. And aside from, yes, the occasional typo that I kill myself over, um, and oh, then and then immediately go in and I'm like, I got it. And I was reading it on my phone. I'm like, I can't even change it right now. Right, yeah. um, so aside from that, and I'm sorry if that bothers people. I know it does. It bothers me. Um, what, typos? Yeah. Yeah, it t- bothers me when I read them. But I'm, I'm, the more I... And my guy who posts things I write on the internet, the more forgiving I am of other people's typos. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and part of me was like, well, if we had an editor, I'm sure they'd catch that. Oh, it's me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, like, so I, I read through some older reviews and some newer reviews and I was quite, I was kind of proud of my newer reviews. Like I, I sort of like the way I write partially because I'm really trying to get to the root of how a film made me feel. And then sort of, sort of why focusing on, you know, the, the form of the acting and, and, and some of the camera shots. But here's the thing, something that I was thinking about as I was reading his, his thing. Um, I do believe that words are remarkably important. And I think that you can use words to accomplish quite a bit. There's a reason that Matt Zoller cites is not opposed to the video essay. And it's because if you are talking about a beautiful shot, mm-hmm. it's much easier to have commentary over it than to just write it down. Like okay. it, oddly enough, I can, I can give, I can give the mechanics of a certain shot and talk about, and certainly I will talk about like, you know, the use of color or something like that. I mean, when we talk about individual achievement, I talked about, um, use of negative space in the cinematography of only God forgives a movie that content wise, I didn't like very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm able to do that, but I, and I, I'm trying not to, I, I'm, I do try to examine myself and say, and ask, is this a cop out on my part? But I do often find that words aren't enough for me to convey visual beauty, you know? And, and oddly enough, the more I try to describe it, the more it starts to slip through my fingers and more frustrated I get than like in this, oddly enough, I have the same, I I have the same difficulty describing love for my wife. I can bring up instances, but somehow that's not enough. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I love punch drunk love so much because there are moments where there's just swirling, beautiful images and music. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's love on the screen right there. Mm-hmm. And aside from me just saying beautiful music and swirling images, what the hell does that even mean to somebody listening and, ha- and they haven't seen it? You know what I mean? Cause you've seen it. Yeah. And so that's the thing is like for me, maybe I'm a limited writer and I need to force myself to get better. That is definitely an option. But for so many reasons, it's that for maybe the type of writer that I am, I'm better at talking about, feelings and theme and then touching on form a little bit than focusing on that not even primarily because he's not talking about that but you know he even gives examples in the article i'm sorry we're bashing we've turned i've turned this into bashing matt zoller sites i'm sorry well i'm I'm on his side so okay uh, so i'm bashing you as well Uh, (laughs) you must be against me um that's what i'm coming away with um but uh and I've, I've got, I, oh, and so in the article, he even mentions that like, yeah, there are some people who will talk about form, but they'll use this word or that word. And I understand using a word like captivating. It's like a fun word to use, but it's also kind of vague. So I understand that. But it's like, so you don't even like that people like you don't even when people acknowledge that there is form and acknowledging that it plays a role, 
because they haven't gotten specific enough for you, mm-hmm. you're saying that they're bad too. It's like, so literally the only part, and I, this is something that gets me and I might be reading too much into it. It's like, and I guess all of us say this, but I feel like you and I try not to. Mm-hmm. He's essentially saying critics be like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel like you and I specifically try not to say that. Sometimes we do. I feel it's it, like it's unavoidable and it's just, but it gets back to his, um, uh, philosophy, uh, of of criticism which i think again i tend to agree with more i know that there's more than one philosophy of criticism right uh and i know that he would probably um be okay with your objections uh because you can back them up but uh, i don't think he would be honestly <laughs> because of his tone because of his tone like you read the article yeah but i i guess i mean people you know i play things up too uh you know it doesn't mean that i um, you know, I, I could be very definitive when I write or when I talk about a movie. It doesn't mean that I'm not open to other interpretations. It's just it's playing things up because and this gets what I'm talking about. He's talking about not only representing how you feel about a film. Mm-hmm. He's talking about representing for cinema. And so that gets back to the education thing you're talking right. about. Uh, and so he thinks that you should go one further because... Uh, I guess it seems like his philosophy is that uh, a review of a movie is about more than just that movie. It's about movies. Sure. And that's where this comes from. And that, uh, again, you, I don't know if I'm going to say duty, but I'd say maybe he believes and I maybe agree that you owe it to the audience uh, to have them come away with something other than your opinion of this specific movie. And I think I try to do that as well. And I think I respond to reviews that make me feel that way. And I think I probably do do that, but maybe not even, maybe not necessarily in the way that he likes. I, I feel like I, and you know what? Like I feel bad because now I feel like I'm merely defending myself and, but it's it's larger than that because at the moment I'm talking about me, but it could be any number of critics who are really trying to approach film as like a very – first off is art mm-hmm. because there's plenty of people that don't approach <laughs> film as art at all. But if you talk about themes explored and content and that sort of thing and say this is what this film is saying, mm-hmm. that in itself could be a complete surprise to somebody reading. It's not like people necessarily read uh, a review and like, I already understand that uh, film can be an in-depth exploration of various themes on various levels, but what, and that's all I care about. Like some people, even that is astounding. Well, let me talk to about the, the, there's a part of the, this is the thing I wanted to put opinion for later. So we're getting to it now. There was a thing about, um, the, uh, in the article that when I read, I thought, well, Tyler's got to like that because that's something that he and I have talked about. Okay. Which is, um, Mad Zoller Sites is, I feel like he's the kind of guy whose name you have to say the full name all the time. I guess so, yeah. Because I don't know him as Matt, and I guess I'm not going to say Zoller Sites over and over again. Yeah. But I guess I could. Uh, anyway, like if he were on a football team, like what would his teammates call him? Like what si- would the- Sightsy. <laughs> Probably. Zoli. Zolo. Um, anyway. Uh, he has a hypothesis that the reason that um, 
there's a lot of people writing criticism that doesn't mention form is because there's a lot of people setting out to become critics who haven't done put, haven't put in the time to learn about form and learn about the way the movies and you and I have decried this, not necessarily decried the same thing, but held ourselves up as examples of, look, you know, we not might not have, uh, you know, master's degrees or anything, but we're both film school graduates and we bring, uh, a certain expertise. Right. Uh, because of that. And we, again, it would not be battleship retention style to say that that makes us, uh, that that is the only right way. But uh, for for the way we think about film, we think that's more important. Mm-hmm. So don't you agree with what he's saying there? That when someone just says, uh, and you know, these are words that I'm uh, guilty of using too. When someone says something is gritty, well, I never say gritty because I hate that word. When he says something is visceral, I use that word to describe yes. uh, things in movies. Um, I'm a big fan of the word kinetic. I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. But I mean, think that, that seems to... Uh, you know, kino cinema, I know, I, like that seems to speak directly to the form. That's funny. anyway. Um, but when people leave it at those words or say that a choice is perfect, um, it's not just that they're uh, uninterested in exploring um, exploring that feeling deeper. It's that they. Uh, they don't have the expertise or the knowledge to know that it is any deeper than that. Yeah. And I will say, yeah, I agree with you completely. And, and I agree and with him agree in that sense. Him? Okay. Yeah. Um, because, and that's the thing is because I tend to personalize articles like this and, and like, you know, being the narcissist that I am, it's like, Oh, this person clearly would hate me. Um, it's like, it's like not even the fun kind of narcissism uh, <laughs> where you're like, I'm, I'm the best one here. Um, but, uh, but that's the thing. If he is writing for people who literally feel as though they don't even need to, you know what? Maybe they haven't even assessed it. Maybe they haven't even looked at film the way that you and I do, whether, regardless of how we write about it, we do look at film a certain way. Um, and that's the thing. I tend not to bring up editing until you, until you and I start talking about Edgar Wright and then I won't talk and I talk mm-hmm. about it all the time. And so, um, so it might be that he's just – he's literally making them aware of like there is a thing called form and you can talk about how a movie makes you feel all day long. But there is a reason for it mm-hmm. and you should try to figure out w- what that is. Almost that in a way – and what bringing this up is actually kind of encouraging me a little bit at, at this point. Um, it's almost like uh, – you remember uh, Hearts of Darkness where <laughs> where uh, Coppola was um, arguing with Dennis Hopper about knowing his lines? <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Right. It's, been, it's been a long time since I've seen Hearts of Darkness. It's delightful because, you know, one of the things about being an actor is what they say is like you have to remember your lines. You have to memorize your lines and then forget them. Now, obviously, they don't mean literally forget them. They mean forget that you remember them so that every time it seems like the first time your character is saying it. Mm -hmm. So he was taught. So there's a, this delightful exchange where Dennis Hopper is talking about, 
you know, he's like, well, you know, they say you got to like re- memorize your lines and then so that you can forget them. And Francis Ford Coppola was like, yeah, but you haven't memorized them. <laughs> You've just jumped to forgetting them. <laughs> it's hilarious. And, and Hopper is like clearly on something, obviously. <laughs> At that point, I think, isn't he just a drug in himself? He's just on Dennis Hopper. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so what you're saying is this idea that like there might be Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. The way I'm interpreting it is like the idea that some people don't even like they need to learn about form. They haven't almost they haven't earned the right to talk primarily about content because until you realize that content is expressed through form, like you're never going to totally get the content either. You're not totally going to understand how you know why you're responding to it that way until you understand conscious choices that were made by the director mm-hmm. um and there are some people who would argue that you don't need to uh, right and and uh, that i don't agree with yeah okay good then we don't have to talk about it because yeah. i also don't agree with that I, I mean i guess you don't technically need to but uh if you're if you're a if you're a casual viewer or even even a fan mm-hmm. of cinema you don't need to but uh if you're committing yourself to writing or talking about film for an intended audience, then maybe you do, or you ought to maybe Mm -hmm. uh, talk about why it works, not just that it works. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that when we do our top 10 of the year, the episode's four hours long because we're not just sitting here saying, here are the 10 movies I like most this year and listing them. Right. We're talking at length about why we feel the way we do. But it is, you know, and admittedly, like with with movies like her, I mean, I do tend to bring up a number of like the technical form type things. Um, but I mean, if you go back, I, I actually went back the other day and listened to a section of our most recent uh, top 10 of 2013. Um, and uh, what was I listening to? I was listening to, uh, to Room 237. Mm-hmm. And you and I talked about the form a little bit. Um, and more specifically, we talk about the stuff he chooses not to do, um, as being a way of putting the content out there in a certain context. Um, but, uh, but most of the time I talk about what I like, you know, what it is trying to convey and that it conveys it really well. And so I don't know, it's maybe the reason that I'm, that I'm having such a reaction to this is because, I mean, I feel like it does, it does um maybe i don't think it applies to me completely because admittedly i don't use a lot of i don't tend to use words like awesome uh in my reviews <laughs> sometimes i do don't get me wrong if sometimes, i'm adopting a certain tone exactly then, yeah then i will exactly yeah um for example at some point uh soon i need to watch and review the recent blu-ray release of no holds barred uh-huh. starring hulk hogan yeah uh and kurt fuller and uh I probably will not like the movie, but if I do, I predict the word awesome will show up in my review Um, because there's only one way to like that movie and it's because you think it's awesome. And so, um, so yeah, it is, you know, I'm, I'm resistant. I I think it mostly is his tone, but like you said, it's, it's an opinion, but it is the kind of opinion that is meant to be, I think more than a challenge. When you say somebody is the problem. I feel like that's a little rough. And, it, and I feel like I'm just more willing to let that roll off my back and say that's just him 
uh, I don't know, spicing up the article a little Maybe. bit. Maybe. Like when he says, if you're not part of the problem, you can stop reading. He doesn't really not like think you're going to stop reading. Right. Obviously. That's just a little, it's just being it's a little rhetorical trick. I'm yeah. And uh, you and I do stuff like that all the time. But, and that's the thing is like, I'm trying to think, and maybe I, I certainly know I'm more sensitive to this kind of thing than you are, but like, you know, I know that there are things that you, that, that you get frustrated with about like where we currently are as critics, uh, and where we wish we were. And if somebody wrote an article saying, hey, where you wish you were, that's where every critic should be. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, you're part of the problem. Right. Like, that would be, now... Yeah, that would probably hurt my feelings. But not, here's the thing. I react to it negatively, not because I disagree with it, but because I agree with it. I think that's the thing you and I have in common about Matt Zoller-Sice's article, is that at its core, you and I both agree with it and feel maybe... uh, you know, I, one of us feels inspired by it. Yeah. And one of us feels maybe admonished by it. Sure. Which I don't think is the right reaction. And I think maybe, maybe one of the reasons that, even though, I mean, his tone is clearly admonishing, but that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think one of my, one of my frustrations is that like, for example, um, one of the reasons that I, you know, if I might pat ourselves on the back a little bit, one of the reasons that I, one of the reasons that I think this show works is because, Obviously, you still care about story and character and theme. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like, ah, get that out of here. But you do tend to view yourself more, most, mostly as a formalist. But not entirely. Otherwise, one can make the argument you would have loved Drive. Right, yeah. But you did not. Yeah, because yeah, cause I don't think it, uh, it, it... I thought it signified nothing. Largely. Yeah. Um, whereas I did... In many ways, like only God forgives, um, which is which is fascinating, to me. <laughs> and that's one where actually I love the I love the form so much that it, like that's what got me through all the horseshit. Um, <laughs> but the um, so that's like that's you. But of course, and then there's stuff that I respond to, but it's not as though a gorgeous shot, you know, that's just like well timed out and like knowing exactly when to cut so that like we we know exactly. Uh, to, to like sort of inform what our emotional response is going to be, but then also being informed by what he knows our, the director knows our response is going to be. Um, that stuff I have an appreciation for, but that's not necessarily, you know, my favorite movie last year was enough said. And while I think it's a wonderful film, it's not necessarily the most technical. It's not like a technical achievement. Uh, it's not, I don't think to get back to the article. I don't think that's what Matt Zoller is saying that it has to be showy. It doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be Nicholas Vindigreffen or whatever. Um, Nicole Hall of Center is making formless choices when she's putting together the movie, and that's right. part of why it works so well. Uh, I mean, there are yeah, maybe there aren't you know uh, David Fincher type shots that go through the handles of coffee pots like in the <laughs> stupid Panic Room movie, <laughs> um, but uh, there are still aesthetic choices being made her um her her frames encompass what they need to encompass but they're not merely utilitarian right she's she's framing things in a way that is pleasing to the eye and she is intentionally keeping things light a lot of the time in the presentation so that when the content becomes less light Mm. uh it has uh contrast yeah you know when when we're seeing in enough said a sort of uh pleasant uh 
bourgeois dinner party yeah. Julio Dreyfus has gotten drunk and is saying cutting things in a yeah. joking way it stands out mm-hmm. because of the choices Nicole Hall of Center has made not only in the presentation of that scene but in the presentation of all the scenes leading up to it right so anyway that's my defensive enough said yeah. as a formalist work and I'm not saying it's not any like it's all formalist like it's every every film is formalist that it that's all Sites is yeah like there's always well. choices but what i would say but i what i will say and okay i looked at the comments section of of his article and it's mostly good stuff and somebody does make reference to the concept of if you notice something working then it's not working the idea that certain things are supposed to be invisible i'm like well that's horseshit like yeah, yeah only <laughs> like that doesn't apply this thing, I think in some cases, I think Nicole Hollis Center, yes, she did make choices so that you would uh, invest, formalist choices so that you would invest yourself more in these characters, but she is doing it in order to point and underline the characters. And so I think you can be forgiven by focusing primarily on characters. She's trying to make it consciously invisible. Right. And so I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with focusing on the thing the director wanted you to focus on. Right. Sometimes well, the things also, that the formless choices are <laughs> intended to be noticeable. Exactly. Like and say when Michael Shannon's character is having visions and take shelter, yeah. you should probably notice the, uh, the, the visual effect work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the, and to anybody who says like, well, no, you should never take notice of anything. It's like, well, that's like, you're really supposed to think that the chairs in his home no. in take shelter actually lifted off the ground because you're not oh i didn't even think about those as being visual effects that's horseshit yeah whoever wrote that comment yeah. and tarantino's high school probably and tarantino's use of of you know not period music and that sort of thing like that is the kind of thing that is that could absolutely take you out of inglorious bastards or django unchained but that is a tr- you know but just because you're being like oh that's that music doesn't fit this period that doesn't you're supposed to be thinking that. That's why that is a trick that works for me. Almost every time. Almost every time. When someone <laughs> uses a period movie and uses modern or more modern music, yeah. anachronistic music, it almost always works for me because it's so flagrantly formalistic. Yeah. It's surprising. And it's surprising how novel it still is because um, it really doesn't happen that much. Um, and it's weird that it doesn't happen. Like, are we really supposed to like... We know it's not diegetic, you know? Yeah. And yet, like, uh, I mean, uh, Mad Men almost exclusively uses uh, um, period-appropriate music, which is why in that one episode that starts with a montage set to a Decemberist song, mm-hmm. it's, it really strikes you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I like that. Uh, there was another example I was going to think of, and I can't think of it. Um, I will say that uh, – so what I was going to say is that, like um, – you know, one of the reasons that I think this show works is because you and I do tend to, while not not merely acknowledging <laughs> the things that we don't think about primarily, we don't merely acknowledge them. Like we we know and regularly say how important all of these things are to a film. Um, but the fact that we do instinctively approach from you know primarily from different angles. I feel like there's a nice complimentary thing. And I think between the two of us, you have a really good view of what a film might be or what a genre might be. Whereas I feel like if we were all to just, and again, he's not saying do one or the other, but he is saying that like, I don't know that, that we should all talk about movies the same way. 
You know what I mean? Like he is saying, yes, we should talk about a very, a very middle, not middle of the road that, that implies mediocrity, but a very like, uh, what do you call that? I don't know. Just something that's, that's in the middle. It's not too much in one direction or the other, but like a very, uh, I don't know. I can't think of the word frustrating. Moderate. Moderate sounds right. But even that, that doesn't sound fun. Um, but like a very moderate, uh, way. Um, and that's not, and that's, Arguing for moderation is never, never not to, you know, it's never really a bad idea. Um, but to say that every single critic needs to write in this way, needs to approach film and communicate film in this way, because it is their duty to do this. And part of me is like, it's prescriptivist, which is something that you and I have always, always, but because we've been doing this for seven years, we've changed a lot, but we have long bucked against any, like, not only in cinema, but in, like, when I talk about grammar, I often talk about how annoyed I am. As much as I can be hung up on grammar, I'm annoyed by people who are uh, prescriptivist about it. Yeah. And so I totally agree that that um, there's something wrong with saying you should do it this way. Yeah. But I also think, like, I do, guess, do you really want, and don't get me wrong, I understand in many ways the, 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 uh, the conversation, the online conversation will be better in a lot of ways. But like, does he really want every single person to write like this? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think he really does. I think, but I think he wants certain people to stop writing the way they're writing. Right. And so that's, hence his tone. Yeah. And again, I don't fully agree with his tone, but I, I accept it as a rhetorical tool and I'm not, uh, <coughs> going to call him a rhetorical tool because of it. <laughs> well done. Um, yeah, the, and that's the thing is like, I understand there's probably some exasperation there. Like when you see, you know, years, okay. Years ago, I don't think we ever actually said this on the show, but it's been long okay. enough that I'll go ahead and say it. Hope, uh, years okay. ago when I first really embraced like, all right, this is what we're doing now. Like I'm not pursuing writing anymore i'm now pursuing criticism however that might look for my life Mm -hmm. um and i remember i had this idea it's not even an idea it's more of just i don't know a manifesto or something um in which like i think you have to write it out for it to be a manifesto i think i wrote it down at some point okay um and just this idea of like it sounds really grandiose and maybe even a little shitty. Um, but at the time I thought David and I, by doing this show, maybe we can change the tone of online film conversation at least a little bit and make it a little bit more, whatever the hell it is we do. Um, (laughs) at at the time I had much more clear ideas of what it is we do. Now it's like, Oh, it's just this amorphous thing. But, um, and so but I, mean, I think we've advocated for more amorphousness in maybe I mean, people being a little less certain of themselves. Yeah. Uh, all the time. Yeah. And speaking as a Christian who is fairly certain of certain things, <laughs> uh, it seems an odd argument for me to make, but at the same time, I just, uh, you know, so I understand, of course I had that thought because I listened to other podcasts and I read certain articles and I f- probably felt the same thing that he feels now there's an exasperation to like you and I devoting a lot of time and energy and blood, sweat and tears and money, by the way, uh, donate button, uh, yeah. like devoting that kind of thing to this thing that literally anybody thinks they can do. I will make a, a parallel. Jen, my wife went to school for admittedly journalism, but a minor in photography. 
So, and then she put in a lot of time at a wedding photography studio, like working her way up. Was it 10,000 hours? Malcolm Gladwell Gladwell style? Probably not. That's a long You mean at that one studio? I'm I'm just making it. Okay. Yeah, you're really locked into that thing. It's because I'm kind of making fun of it, but I can't come out and say I'm making fun of it because I've never actually read Malcolm Gladwell. You know, yeah. you know, there's certain movies like you feel like you want to make fun of, but you're like, I guess like, technically I can't because I haven't seen it. That's how I, I feel about, about Malcolm Gladwell. I'm, I'm 88% sure that I would not enjoy reading Malcolm Gladwell's books. I read The I Tipping Point. And you know what? It was actually, he's very, I'll say this, he's very easy to read. Um, and when dealing with relatively complex ideas, or at least ideas that are kind of new to me, mm-hmm. um, that was fun. It's, he's... <laughs> he's a he's a, a good read i'm not sure if i'd say he's remarkably compelling but uh but it's 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 interesting non- nonetheless um so anyway so jen so then she we move out here she works for other photographers some of them good some of them bad and then she hangs the shingle out starts her own business aldersphotography.com mm-hmm. a l a l d e r s photography.com yeah photography did traditional spelling um <laughs> That is a joke that no one ever laughs at when, like, whenever somebody, like a telemarketer is asking my name, I go, uh, Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R, Smith, traditional spelling. <laughs> they never laugh, but I always make it. Um, but anyway, so. I, I knew a guy in high school whose name was David, and he would always tell people it's David with two Ds, because it is. There's yeah. two Ds in David. Oh, but people but would always, always write D-A-V-I-D-D. <laughs> um, so. So she, so she like, and she's like put so much effort into her business and like trying to become not merely a better business owner, but a better photographer who's always trying to push herself to, to capture emotions that people are going to forget on their Mm -hmm. wedding day, um, and capture those moments. And so, uh, but then she'll get an email from a friend, like from out of town or sometimes in town, who's just like, hey, I bought this new camera and I want to be a wedding photographer. <laughs> uh, you know, can you give me some tips? And so she's like, she's like, uh, uh, yeah, I've got it. And she's like, I-, I have a tip. Spend years on it before you declare yourself this thing. Yeah. Um, and so I do understand I do understand his, his exasperation. And if the tone is an exasperated tone, it's one that I can understand. Um, and probably well-learned come by. Honestly, I, that I would agree with completely, but it's one of those things that like, and again, there's certainly stuff I can learn. It, it requires, you know, you read something like this and it's like, all right, I can examine myself and, and the way I write. And maybe I could do this more. Maybe I should do it. more. By the way, you should examine yourself. Every so often, you know, absolutely. I, we're not getting any, any younger, David. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, okay, no, I, uh, on the long list of tangents, on the short list of tangents, we probably can't go on. Uh-huh. Uh, the one I was about to say, I'm not going to. All right. Um, under wraps. but, uh, but yeah. And so, uh, so I think, so I understand so much of his tone, but I still don't like his tone because it is, as you say, prescriptive. It's, it's taking this, it's one thing to say, I want to try and better. Mm-hmm. this thing through exam, you know, by way of example, as opposed to, I'm just going to fucking point my finger at people and say, be better incidentally like me. Right. Um, but he does give specific tips. Sure. He does. Yeah. On absolutely. How, on how to do it. And I, I kind of actually did appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it is very helpful. And so that's the thing I, I found myself torn 
on the article yeah. because it's very helpful and it comes from a place that I understand. I'll say this. If this article were written in the tone that you would have liked, we it probably never would have gotten shared with all of us. We wouldn't be talking about it right now. That's I, I can't argue with you, but at the same time, part of me is like, well, if that's why he maybe if that's why he adopted the tone, then I have other uh, other issues yeah, with it. Might it might be. He's a smart guy. I is it, that's funny. fine, but again, that's like on the, among the things that I actually do think a critic's duty, you know, uh, is or encompasses is being honest. And if you're mm-hmm. playing up a tone because you know it'll get shared more because of that, I feel like you're not being. I think you're being disingenuous. But I do think he's being honest. He's so. also got bills to pay. We all got bills to pay. Dude. Exactly. That's why and I you and I that. never adopt that tone. <laughs> never <laughs> once have we ever <laughs> taken a harsh tone with people we disagree with. Yeah. You know, and unless they are fans of the, the doors or oh, yeah. short term 12. Yeah. Those are both stupid things. Knock it off. Knock it off. Like in those. Admittedly, <laughs> I probably was not great with Elysium. Um, but, um, yeah. And here's the difference between Matt. Well, among the differences between Matt Zoller sites, editor of Roger Ebert.com and me editor, co-editor of battleship pretension.com, um, is that, uh, when he writes something that strikes that tone, he's done with it. When I strike that tone, either in an article or in conversation, I will worry and worry well, and worry. How do you know he doesn't? You don't know that. But that's you, one thing you gotta like that I have learned from going to therapy. You said this is gonna turn into therapy. Is that uh, you can't be so sure that other people feel the way they seem to feel. I suppose so. You know, a lot of times when someone's dick, it's to you, it's more about them than it is about you. Oh boy. Okay. Now here is a tangent I'm comfortable going down. Okay. Um, then we got to wrap up. No. And, and I, I, I agree with you. Like who knows? And I, I would not be at all surprised if possibly every critic is deeply insecure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that whole idea of it's like, if somebody doesn't like you or if somebody is saying this stuff to you, like it's more about, them than you in the moment that provides i'm gonna say no comfort uh it's <laughs> it's like when uh marge uh, uh somebody was oh that's right <laughs> bart had to get like glasses put this stuff on his hair and wear these corrective shoes and he looked like a nerd uh-huh. and so um so he says to marge he says well the kids at school are gonna like are gonna laugh at me and she goes well anybody who laughs at you isn't your friend and that's that's her solution to the problem. <laughs> yeah. And when people say like, it's like, hey, you know what? If somebody makes fun of you, that's their problem. It's like, really? Because it sure does feel a lot like mine. They're really bringing it to my door and leaving it there. And I guess I don't have to pick it up, but I at least need to pick it up in order to move it. And now I'm engaging with it. And so, uh, but yes, I understand what you're saying. Okay. All right. So I've been really shitty this episode. I feel really bad now. <laughs> what do you mean? We just had an awesome conversation. Did we? Because I feel like I've just been super defensive and really assholeish. I think you did what podcasts in general. I'm in the mindset to talk about podcasts in general. Oh, real quick. If you are in the mind to talk about podcasts in general, if you are a fan of podcasts yeah. and you live in the Los Angeles area, a uh, friend of the show, friends of the show, Graham Elwood and Chris Mancini, um, are making a documentary called Earbuds about podcasting. And if you're going to be around the Los Angeles, specifically Hollywood, West Hollywood area, uh, on Sunday, April 6th, and you are a fan of podcasts, just stop by uh, Meltdown Comics 
Uh, they're going to be in the back room in the Nerd Melt room filming. You'll have to send a release, of course, but filming, I guess, testimonials of podcast fans. Yeah. You can be a part of Earbuds, the podcast documentary, if you go to Meltdown Comics Sunday, April 6th, between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. I'd get there early. Did you hate everything I said in this episode as much as I assume you did? You can go and tell them about it. Yeah, that's exactly what you should do. I'd say if you want to make sure you're on, get there no later than 12.49 p.m. Sounds good to me. All right. So. um, You said you were in the mood to talk about podcasting. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm I'm thinking in general, uh, because I was thinking about this earbuds documentary, about podcasting in general. Uh, And I think what... You did. You mean you you joked early on that this was like uh, therapy, and I joked later on that it was like therapy. But anyway, um, you we talked about something. Podcasts exist linearly, fourth dimensionally. We talked about something, and we talked our way through it. We still probably have more thoughts on it probably, to go. Yeah. Um, you know, we're never finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're never finished thinking or learning. That's something I believe. Uh, and I'll be I'll I'll be prescriptivist about that all day all the live long day. Fair enough. Um, but uh, I think this was a fantastic episode because we demonstrated how two white guys talking about <laughs> some bullshit that interests them for an hour can actually be uh, productive and edifying. All right. Well, I hope so. And uh, listeners, take it easy on me. All right. I it touched a nerve. All right. <laughs> Uh, or whatever us. just say whatever you want i don't give a shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you can find us at battleshipretention.com that's where you can find uh this podcast and all the other podcasts in the bp fleet you can also and also all the movie reviews that we write incorrectly uh, those are battleshipretention.com only half of them uh, <laughs> you can find you can email me david at battleshipretention.com you can follow ty, or email tyler tyler at battleshipretention.com i'm on twitter at the pretension tyler's on twitter he's at more lessons that's the official twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which you can find at more than one lesson.com what's going on over there at mtol these days uh well uh as i think i mentioned earlier uh in the episode but i want to repeat uh my the panel that I did at Mountaineer Film Festival uh, is available. It was recorded and it's available at morethanonelesson.com, so you can go and listen to it. There's a lot of Christian speak, as I'm sure you can imagine, but uh, but it was a really good conversation. I'm very I was very proud to be a part of it, and so you can go. It's about it now about an hour and twenty minutes, maybe more. I'm not sure, but uh, but I I went back and and re-listened to it, and uh, and I think it's it was a lot of fun to be a part of. So. You can go and listen to that at morethanonelesson.com. Okay. My other podcast is a weekly television podcast. It's called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. This week, we'll be watching and, and discussing uh, the new show Surviving Jack with Chris Maloney. And also, here's something. I'm really excited to watch it, but I can't for the life of me say it correctly because it's, it's a bit of a tongue twister for me. I usually like tongue twisters, you know, when you say what uh rubber baby buggy bumpers i mm-hmm. like that one red leather yellow leather yellow leather red leather i know new york i need new york i know i need unique new york what are some other ones um, she sells seashells by the seashore yeah i slip the sheet the sheet i slid upon the slitted sheet i sit the jerk um yeah uh there's the other one that my drama teacher used to do uh she stood on the balcony inexplicably mimicking him hiccuping amicably welcoming him in that was always one of my favorites. And yet, I cannot get the name of the show right. Okay, what it's do you got? Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge. It's Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge. Oh, I, that is rough. I keep wanting to say Creature Chop Challenge. 
You should just say Jim Henson's shh. Yeah. Because that's all you're going to hear anyway. Yeah. yeah. I have to slow down if I want to say it right. We'll be watching Surviving Jack and Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge. (laughs) That's on Hey Watch This. You sound like uh, Agent Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 